0: Hi, welcome to Tabs Two Cents, the show where we talk about finance, business, and achieving success. Today on the show, we have Peter Sansbury. Peter is a returning guest and the founder of Carbon Risk, a great substack for anyone interested in carbon. Today, we're going to talk about carbon. We're going to talk about the implications on the carbon market from the Russian invasion into Ukraine. And I think it's important to note that truly this is a humanitarian crisis. And first things first, we need to consider the loss of human life both in Ukraine and in Russian military personnel that perhaps aren't there for any reason other than being a part of the Russian military. Nobody needs to see loss of life. It's a tragic event that's unfolding. And war is something that I didn't think I would see in Europe in my lifetime. And I'm very upset that I have. So with that being said, if you're a Canadian, federal government has announce that they will match any donation to the Red Cross Ukraine campaign. So I'm going to go ahead and link out that donation page in the show notes. So hopefully you enjoy the show. We still need to discuss our investments. We still need to talk about our hard-earned dollars and what can happen to our money as a result of this war. So I think it's important to compartmentalize both the war and our finances. So with that being said, I hope you enjoy my discussion with Peter. We cover a lot of topics, both from a geopolitical stance and a commodities and carbon market viewpoint. Enjoy the show.
1: Welcome to Tabs Two Cents, a show for average Joe investors where we talk finance and how to achieve success.
0: Peter, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Jay. Thanks for having me back on the podcast. Yeah, and a lot has changed since the last time you've been on. And I uh, really wanted to get you on to talk about carbon, commodities, markets. Um, I know your last blog, you sent out collateral damage. You highlighted the four areas in which um, the recent events could affect carbon prices. I don't know if you want to talk about that quickly. Yeah,
1: that's right. So, I mean, Clearly, it's you know it's um, first and foremost a you know a humanitarian crisis that's that's unfolding in, in Eastern Europe at the moment. Um, but you know as as investors we you know clearly need to consider the implications for you know for for our for our investments. Now as uh, you know, uh, from my my piece was kind of uh, inspired by well, sparked really from what has kind of materialized over the last in the last few days, and and kind of what I see as the potential. You know, downside risks to uh, carbon markets going forward, and really there was, um, you know, as you mentioned, like four four things that could differ in terms of their, their ferocity and their, their immediate impact, um, and they're the really kind of the sort of financial, economic, political, and you know, kind of social impacts, and then how those four factors kind of feed back on themselves and, and impact the carbon market. So the first one was really kind of the sort of financial impacts. Um, and then, really, back in uh, even you know, only Thursday last week, there was, um, there was a massive sell-off in EU emission allowances. Literally, um, when the market opened uh, in the morning on on that Thursday, And there was a you know, massive gap opened up in 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 the, in the in the in the chart. And you know what tends to happen when there's you know there's kind of volatility spikes in, in the energy market is you get these kind of you know, margin calls and you know the carbon market is quite a, a liquid market and um, you know, it's not something necessary that uh, utilities or you know, hedge funds need for, for their day-to-day operations so it's something that can easily be be sold um, and that's what we saw you know really on Thursday morning when um you know the price dropped by you know around about 10 10 euros per tonne within you know in space of one day you know what, is likely to happen what, what we've kind of seen subsequently over the last you know, few days is that that trend towards margin calls accelerates, and you know people offload you know emission allowances that they've perhaps got on their on their books you know part of this has been sparked by the you know the tightening in uh restrictions on on the russian economy you know in terms of western sanctions uh, either through you know the restricting access to the swift payment system um, but then also perhaps looking forward in terms of um, either through sort of self-sanctioning or you know formal sanctions not to you know buy Russian Russian gas and, and other other energy sources so of course that's put up the price of oil and gas uh, and coal which would have you know completely messed with a lot of you know hedge fund books and you know could that has you know, precipitated that those um, those margin calls that we're seeing. You know, next is kind of like the, the economic impacts. So we've kind of really had three or four really large economic, you know, negative economic surprises when the um, the carbon market, the, the EU carbon market has been open. So that's you know began in 2005, and then we had the uh, Great Financial Crisis in 08 and 09, the European Debt Crisis in you know, 2011, 2012, and so on. And then more recently, the obviously COVID back in in the last year or two. Um, So each and each of those times, we've seen the price of carbon drop massively. Um, There's been various different reasons and market context behind that. But in a sense, you know, if there's less economic activity, less emissions, you've got less need to buy carbon credit, uh, carbon allowances, and that yeah, then that you know reduces the support. Um, in the market. And what we're kind of seeing is, you know, people perhaps anticipate that the crunch on energy supplies in Europe is going to be so much more acute going into the summer and the next winter, that, you know, the options potentially include, you know, either voluntary or forced, you know, industrial shutdowns, and which would then, you know, clearly, you know, reduce demand for gas, but it also reduces, you know, demand for um, emission allowances as well. And then, you know, it's kind of all mixed together is that kind of political picture as well um and it's it's a very sort of cloudy picture and because we've on the one hand we've seen very rapid decisions by different eu member states you know particularly germany and uh, where they've uh, from a geopolitical point of view they've reversed a uh, you know um it's sort called of generational level decision not to export uh, lethal weapons to to other countries you know they've can they've openly talked about delaying the the nuclear shutdown, which has been, you know, legally binding for the last, you know, over a decade now. Uh, and even, you know, reopening, you know, coal plants as well to help meet that demand. So these are these are things that we, you know, really couldn't have imagined even, you know, a week or two ago. And so just on, on those things, it's, it's difficult to disentangle, you know, what the impact is gonna be on, on, on carbon. You know, on the one hand, you know, more nuclear means less demand, for fossil fuels but on the other hand you know if there's more coal being burnt you know that increases the you know demand for emission allowances uh, but it's all also kind of wrapped up in this you know wider perspective on what's going to happen to europe's climate strategy you know clearly reducing reliance on fossil fuels cutting emissions is very much closely related to trying to distance ourselves from from russian gas you know the, the two align quite well but what we potentially could see is, you know, a ramping up in, you know, kind of state mandated acceleration in renewable energy, and, you know, resource efficiency, energy efficiency, which up until now has been really kind of left to the market, you know, and the EU ETS has been that the tool to help accelerate that transition. So if we're now getting to the point where the state is kind of trying to push it that at lightning speed, then... You know what? What do we need the you know, the emissions trading scheme for if if it's all being state directed? Um, you know, that, that's an, an extreme uh, scenario, but you know it's something I think people potentially could are you know are considering as being you know um, an outcome of of, of, of the next uh, of the next few few months and years. And then you know kind of wrapped up in that whole sort of climate versus uh, energy security and you know, geopolitical perspective is the the social the social angle you know, now it's become, you know, blatantly obvious that, you know, Europe receives, you know, such a significant share of its energy needs from Russia, you know, whereas, you know, a few weeks ago, you know, many people wouldn't necessarily realise that. Now, you everyone knows it's at the whim of, you know, one man, you know, will, will, you know, Europe's citizens that, you know, their priorities change, you know, you know, and and that's a delicate balance, because, you know, renewable energy, you know, will take time to bring on no matter what the, you know, the state funds and, know and and ambition behind it so it's i think it's accelerated you know things that are gonna you know are happening anyway but it's still very much undecided what's going to happen and i think that all that uncertainty you know financial and economic risks is is has been weighing on the on the carbon market over the last you know over the last 10 days or so
0: yeah there's definitely a lot to unpack there one thing that i wanted to ask you about because i know you're a commodities guy first the price of oil i mean we're in triple digits both Brent, wti today do you think that you could see some of those industrial oil producers using that excess money to buy carbon allowances?
1: Potentially. I mean, you know, if you if you're talking about say, OPEC members or you know other, other yeah, you know, it really depends on it, the extent to which they're they're attuned to you know ESG mandates. You know, if it's a you know a state, you know, Saudi Aramco, they've got no sort of pressing need to satisfy. You know their their shareholder expectations over you know offsetting their carbon um whereas if it's you know potentially some you know private privately held producer you know in south america for example then you know potentially that that's an opportunity for them to uh use as extra funds to help up- offset their you know their carbon risk
0: just a thought that i had in regard to higher oil and mm-hmm. You know with carbon and there's going to be some implications for excess fossil fuels that they're going to need and all of these other areas where they're going to pump out their energy um, one thought that i had as far as energy security it's much easier for a country to protect their assets when they're not all confined to one large plant so what do you think about that with renewable energy do you think that governments have thought about this already
1: yeah i mean i mean to, to an extent Renewable energy does allow some, you know, self-sufficiency, you know, where well, one country could rely on solar, another can rely on wind, wave, whatever. So, you know, to some extent it allows more, you know, decentralization to some extent, but clearly the sun doesn't always always shine during the day. So you need, a, um, you know, to redevelop the grid to potentially allow excess energy during the day to be, you know, uh, exported to, Regions or countries where there's a there's a deficit of of um, of energy. So, you know, this is a mammoth task. It it doesn't mean we can all become less in, less interdependent on each other. Um, in many extent respects, it it we need to become more more dependent uh, purely because of the grid. Yeah, I think the the other important point to note about you know the growth in renewables is it, it's you know, still very much commodity dependent. So you need, you know, uh, rare earths, you know, lithium, all of those other kind of very sort of scarce and uh, you know, becoming increasingly valuable commodities. And um, so we're, you know, we're to some extent replacing dependence on one type of commodity, you know, fossil fuels on you know, onto another. And there's, and, and there's geopolitical risks in, in that as well. We might be trying to re- replace our reliance on fossil fuels from Russia. But instead we're we're changing that reliance to China in terms of you know, some of those those raw materials.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good point. The raw materials or the fuel or whatever commodity we need, it all boils back to you mm-hmm. have to get it from somewhere. Yeah. It's not always Europe's ability to get that for themselves. I know here in Canada, North America, we have lots of resources, but we can't we don't necessarily have the financing to mine them all either. So mm. it's, not, it's not like we can just all of a sudden have a major lithium mine to produce a ton of batteries.
1: So yeah, there's, there's and, and that's right. And I, I, mean, it, I mean, it's important to note it's also, you know, even if you've got the raw material, you actually need to process it into a, a chemical or a you know, raw material that actually you can use in the final application. To take lithium as, as an example, you might have a you know, lithium mine, but if you don't have the, you know, the processing ability, you know, such as like China, China has, Then it's not really necessarily going to do you any good.
0: Yeah, and one thing that one blog that you put out was the impact that a recession could have on carbon. And Mm -hmm. you know, if we continue to see commodities rise this fast, and you know, funding going into military areas, and for whatever reason a recession was to occur due to this elongated (laughs) war, yeah, what do you think the impacts would be on carbon from that?
1: Yeah, I think, I, I think as, I, as I kind of mentioned, I think there's, you know, on the demand side, you know, clearly if, if economic activity slows or even declines, you know, that might imply, you know, there's going to be lower emissions, so less demand for emission allowances. So, you know, that could you know, result in in lower carbon prices. Indeed, that's what we've seen over the sort of previous three Kind of big economic economic events we've seen in the eu carbon market but i think there's a there's an important caveat to that in that you know the carbon market has changed completely really from what it was 10 12 years ago in that there's a an inbuilt mechanism called the, the market stability reserve that essentially works to kind of siphon off excess supply every year it, it um, every year it reduces that excess supply by about 24%, excuse me, that's a, that's an inbuilt mechanism that uh, was launched in 2019 uh, to help reduce the excess supply that built up over, you know, over the previous uh, decade or so. What it does represent, in a sense, is it's a kind of a self-balancing mechanism, so that if a recession does hit, which could, you know is becoming increasingly likely, there might be you know, it hit the demand for allowances in the near term, but that just means that the MSR, the market stability reserve, helps to counteract that cut in in demand in future years. So what you, you know normally see in normal circumstances is that the market isn't just focused on the here and now, it's focused on the, you know, what's going to happen over the next one, two, three years and beyond. The actions of the MSR should be factored then into, into present day prices. If you look back at what happened during, you know, COVID, there was a you know, sharp sell-off of around about I don't know, roughly sort of 20% from, from memory, which was a lot, a lot less than in previous episodes. Uh, but then we got a you know, very quick rebound, uh, which kind of mirrored you know, what happened to other asset prices. But it also kind of mirrored what you know, the market was expecting about that kind of gradual tightening in the, in the supply of um, allowances over, over time. And there's no reason to suspect that that will change going forward. You know, this is all kind of locked into EU legislation. You know, there's, there's bits around it that are being debated, Um, you know, this year. But there's no reason to think that, that you know, any of that will, will change going forward.
0: Yeah, I really uh, think that the largest tailwinds and headwinds potentially moving forward for carbon will be in investor confidence and industrial yeah. confidence in the pricing and what they do with regulation, because as we all know, in war, sometimes laws get changed mm-hmm. and if yeah. you know like for example Zelensky just came out and said he's going to release prisoners with combat experience which is mm. obviously yeah. unheard of under normal times mm. so it's not really a stretch for the imagination to think that Europe could change their carbon laws to allow for cheaper industrialization yeah
1: yeah it's it's yeah we've seen lots of things yeah you know, and and yeah things that we would have thought would be you know improbable become possible over the last, you know, week or so. So, you know, you're absolutely right And you think It's something to watch. And um, again, it feels unlikely, but, you know, it's, it really is something to, to watch out for.
0: Yeah. And I think if they, mm-hmm. at the same time, if they don't change the laws, even during a crisis, that could really embolden some investors and industrial areas to buy more credits and to take advantage of the dip that we're seeing now.
1: Yeah, and that's right. So that's I mean that's the flip side of it is if you've you know you've got the confidence to that the EU will stay the course and you know recognize that you know even though they might try and ramp up you know other aspects of uh, climate change and you know fossil fuel abatement that um you know that they might have some control over that the you know the path that they've set out in terms of you know emission reductions and and the role of the the EU carbon scheme has it now, if you think that's going to stay the same, then potentially they're going to be, you know, as the carbon price unwinds, yeah, could be some interesting opportunities going forward.
0: Yeah. And I think one thing that I've sort of been considering is some people look at carbon as sort of like a negative commodity, like there's only so much room Mm -hmm. in the atmosphere before we're past the point of no return. And what's happening in Russia is taking away some of those spots. And mm. you know, I saw a video of an oil refinery that was lit on fire for whatever reason, yeah. and that's just spewing carbon into the air. So you know, if we're if we're in the position we're in, and the, the science is determined, it's going to be pretty hard for them to change course. I would think on
1: carbon. Yeah, absolutely. And it's you know, it would be you know, I've kind of described um uh, the carbon market as a um, yeah, other than you're know, not necessarily a, a commodity, but more almost like a currency, like a the currency of decarbonisation you know just like investors have lost trust in the, the russian ruble over the last week if you lose trust in currency of decarbonisation which is you know the carbon price then you know the price collapses and you know investors uh, never come back potentially so that's that's the real risk that the you know the european commission faces and um, you know it should they should they however unlikely you know tamper with the uh, the carbon system the carbon market. Sorry. So if your, you know, your expectation is that they wouldn't be doing anything as stupid to, to mess with it, then, you know, it, again, as you're saying, it's going to throw up some interesting opportunities to, um, you know to back that that commitment.
0: Yeah, for sure. And from what I understand is people are speculating <laughs> that most of the sales have been either industries monetizing their free allowances, or <clears throat> speculators getting out of the market and moving into I'm assuming something like oil, perhaps. You recently yeah. released a blog on options and the headwinds and some interesting activity that you've seen. I wonder if you could just talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah, that's right. So, just like any other you know, commodity market or asset market, you know, options plays a you know, option market plays a, a pivotal role in the carbon market as well. And up until you know, maybe even sort of three or four weeks ago, yeah, you know, there was a lot of sort of core cool market activity. Um, that would, you know, we're looking at sort of very bullish prices, you know, beyond 95 euros a ton, you know, and the expectation was that when or if, you know, prices had carried on beyond that point, then you know institutions that had risen those, those call options would have had to have gone into the market and bought the underlying asset, so the, uh, either the physical carbon market or the, or the EU futures contracts, and that would have, you know, helped push the, the price up towards that, um, option market um, expiry value but what we're seeing now is almost like the reverse you know and it's become a might become a, an increasing headwind um in that you know prices have dropped you know below that kind of key 80 euro per ton mark um, you know between 80 and 85 there was a lot of uh activity that was kind of um you know kind of a net bullish uh position uh but now prices are below that level um and if they you know, the stable at, at level and perhaps, you know, the expectation is that, you know, there might be more selling, um, is that we could then see a reversal of that process, you know, instead of institutions buying the underlying asset, the carbon price, they could, you know, be more and more selling, you know, it has the impact of kind of accelerating moves on the upside, but also, you know, the reverse on the downside as well. Yeah, so we've seen a, a kind of a, a, net, a net or swing towards a more bullet, and um, more bearish sentiment in the um, options market over the last two or three weeks. Yeah, so it'll be interesting on the next day or so whether that 80 euro per ton level holds.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's something to watch. I wonder if we can transition over to commodities, Mm -hmm. oil and natural gas specifically. I wasn't really looking or watching markets when Russia went into Crimea. I'm assuming that just based on your book that you (laughs) were. How does this differ from that? it's obviously a much larger scale and mm. if you can recall what do you remember happening when
1: Crimea was as far as they went?
0: Yeah I mean uh, you
1: yeah, say, it's, it's a very different scale I mean the energy, the energy market was a, in a very different position then um, and I forget exactly when that invasion happened but you know now very you know, clearly now you know energy markets were already very tight you, know, you mentioned oil over 100 dollars a barrel you know very high gas and coal prices. but going into the back end of 2014 we had you know the oil price collapsing and um, so it was you know, very much you know, very much a different picture um, in terms of the you know, the supply demand dynamics. In, in a sense now it you know, rushes in a position of strength because of you know, high high commodity prices and the you know, the extent to which they have and are able to access you know, those reserves that they've built up over the last you know, last few years. Whereas you know, going back five, six years ago, or more uh, back when it was Crimea, it's a very different picture. There was a yeah, you know, more of yeah, there was more of a more of a weakness. Yeah, you know, Putin had a weaker hand back then. Yeah, so uh, that's probably the main differences in terms of where we are, where we are today.
0: Yeah, we've underfunded the oil industry for the last decade or yeah. so. Some would argue, and perhaps that's why we're mm-hmm. seeing the prices we're seeing now because. I know here in Canada, I have some friends in Alberta and they work on the oil rigs in the sands. And a lot of mm. them have had to leave because they've been shutting down those rigs. Yeah. So, you know, 10 years ago, they probably could have just ramped them back up and increased production, but now they've all been shut down and and disabled.
1: Yeah, I, I don't I don't know whether well it's gonna change public attitudes, but you know, that we've kind of let ourselves become, you know, into the position we are today. Um, you know, essentially because you know as you say we've di- we've divested from oil gas and other fossil fuels you know it's become almost like a you know a sin stock you know you you, you know no one invests it's you know, uninvestable um or you, you, know, you can't be seen to to invest in in fossil fuels so that's you know that's kind of taken away our leverage you know in these kind of situations where you know previously we could have been able to manage the supply side of it what we're going to have to do now is probably manage the demand side you know, and that's where, you know, might be curbs on industrial activity, you know, switches between different fuels, you know, depending on what's what's available. But that's going to be a big hit to, you know, households, businesses. You know, you're going to see a squeeze on, you know, consumer income, you know, real incomes, you know, margins on, from, um, you know, from uh, companies that can't offset that, that those, uh, those increasing costs. So all of which kind of comes together with, you know, that kind of sort of quite bleak, economic outlook
0: as well yeah for sure and one thing that i have found just in my research is that canada is the number one producer of potash and russia and belarus are two and three so there's obviously going to be a supply demand Mm -hmm. increase on a commodity like that where russia and belarus are most likely going to be sanctioned Mm -hmm. and it's going to be hard to get that product out of there Mm -hmm. Are there any other commodities that we could be looking at?
1: Yeah, I mean I mean as you say, you just on those, you know, it's not just because of sanctions, it's you know potentially because of you know restrictions in the you know the port in Ukraine or you know elsewhere in the Black Sea that might prevent that commodity you know coming out. But things like you know, palladium and platinum, you know, Russia you is kind of a key producer of those commodities, aluminium as well, um you agricultural waste, so you know, wheat especially. Ukraine um and parts of southern Russia are kind of the sort of the breadbasket of the world in many respects. So you we're already seeing um you know wheat prices you know hit massive you know well into record levels this morning um on you know the fear that you know that you know wheat won't be able to come out of that um you know that region we're gonna have to rely on you know, exporters elsewhere in the world. Yeah, I mean, think those are probably the main ones that you know, investors should be aware of.
0: Yeah, I agree. Could you just maybe talk quickly about the SWIFT payment system mm-hmm. and what do you think that's going to happen or what implications that's going to have on the global market?
1: The, the SWIFT, um, you know, Russia's been blocked from the SWIFT payment system, which is a, it's more like a sort of messaging service that, you know, um, helps to track payments across, across borders. As I understand it, a number of uh, banks and other you know, institutions in Russia have been blocked from the system. So what it could mean is that you know, um, you know c- countries in in Europe or, or elsewhere that need to deal with Russia, you know, may not be able to use the same payment rails that they they have they have at the moment. You know, it would certainly add you know much you know additional cost in terms of you know being able to um, you know be able to facilitate that that payment. I think the other you know, the related aspect to it is that, um, you know, it will force companies that aren't necessarily sanctioned to potentially self-sanction themselves and say, you know, we, we use this swift payment system to, to work with Russia, but we, we fear sanctions upon ourselves. So we, you know, we're not going to, you know, uh, interact with Russia, even if we, even if we can, you know, that's, that's one potential, um, outcome. Um, I think the other one is, you know, there's, there's, there's a suspicion um, going back into last year that, you know, Russia and China had developed a, a kind of a sort of parallel payment system. You know, I'm, I'm a little bit unclear as to how that has evolved or, you know, the degree to which they can actually use it. But, you know, you know potentially there are other routes which, you know, Russia might be able to use. What we're seeing, though, is that even though, you know, SWIFT is a, you know, kind of the official means by which you know trade would have been done with russia you know the fact that other countries other companies are saying we're not going to deal with russia we're going to sell our assets that we have in russia if we can you know i think that is probably the more more powerful factor in terms of closing off you know closing off trade with, with russia
0: yeah absolutely um so with that being said i think that we've covered a lot I mean, it's also fluid. It's going to be yeah. really hard to predict anything with any level of accuracy, but it is important to think about different ways that this can go and how investors should protect themselves because after all, these are our hard-earned dollars and you know, it's a humanitarian crisis and it's everything that's going on over there is very tragic, but at the same time, we still need to think about how our investments could be affected, and uh, I just want to say thank you for coming at, on the show in these tough times. And hopefully, in the UK, uh, you guys are doing well. And um, yeah, yeah, all yeah. the best.
1: Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Thanks for thanks for talking. Eh? It's been good. Yeah, is there anything you'd like to add, or um, just just very just to follow up on that point? Actually, is that you know, speculators and investors sometimes get a bad you know bad rap sometimes, but you know, we're trying. You know, carbon market is all about trying to find the right place of carbon to help accelerate the fight against climate change. You know, investing in carbon, um, you know, commodities is all about trying to facilitate the global trade in in, um, in commodities so that, you know, there might be a shortage for a certain period, but that causes the price to go up. And then, you know, either demand or supply responds to, you know, toward, to that price. So we're in a difficult situation at the moment where we're having to react to a you know, a humanitarian crisis, but, you know, it's got important implications for, you know, for all of our everyday needs going forward.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks again. And uh, stay safe. Okay. Cheers, Joe. Thanks. Joe is not a financial advisor and may have interest in the stocks discussed on the show. So do not take any information included within this podcast
1: as a recommendation or formal advice. Thank you.